May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So this morning we're going to do something a little bit different just to start off with. Uh, I want you to get into pairs and uh, I want you to take turns to ask each other, who are you? And each time to come up with a different answer to that question. Who are you? And we'll do this for about a minute. So just see how many different answers you can come up with in answering who are you? So how was that? (laughs) I'm not supposed to be getting lost in the goss. So what was that like? Hard. Some hard? Not hard? How many different answers did you come up with? Lots. I thought about doing that with the children this morning and I thought that Theo and Karis would probably struggle after a, a couple of rounds of questions. It is easier when you're older but I imagine, um, uh, imagine doing that for maybe 10 minutes, just doing who are you, and think about where you would have to go with those answers. It would be quite hard, wouldn't it, after a while? Well, I got you to do that because this morning the key question that is kind of in most of our readings is that question, who are you? So that's the question that the Judean elite sent representatives down to John to find out who he was. Uh, And so maybe even John might appear on the screen at any moment. Who knows? John the baptizer. But it's also uh, the question that's really uh, behind uh, Mary's song as well, who she was. And I want to talk about another person and the way he answered that as well. Who was he? So that first question, no, back to... Yeah, we're not doing Mary yet. So uh, John's, John's answer. John's answer is kind of interesting for a number of reasons. It's interesting um, because when, they, when he was asked the question, the question was looking for a couple of things. The first was they really wanted to know whether or not he saw himself as the Messiah. And the reason they wanted to know that was because those people who described themselves as messiahs usually ended up dead, and a whole lot of people who lived in the area also ended up dead, and it wasn't great for that part of the world, and it wasn't great for trade, and if you were a member of the Judean elite whose wealth kind of relied on trade and product from the ground, having people popping up as messiahs wasn't a great thing. They could do without that kind of kerfuffle. So the Romans didn't take kindly to people calling themselves messiahs and liberating them from Rome. So uh, they tended to deal with that stuff pretty harshly. And um, so they just wanted to nip that in the bud. If John was going to call himself the messiah, they wanted to find a way of silencing him. But they also wanted to know who he was in terms of his genealogy. Where did he fit in the pecking order? How was he related to people? 
So that kind of answer, that genealogical answer, I guess is the kind of answer that many of us started with. I am who I am, my name, and then my relation. I'm a mother, a father, etc. So that's, that's where we start off with. And in, within the Māori world, te ao Māori, um, they always start with whakapapa because once you kind of put out your whakapapa and you can then link yourself with the whakapapa of the people that you are meeting. You can see where the links are. You can see how you're related to them. And then once you've established that relationship, you know how you fit together, then you can go on to all the other stuff. So, But their, their question wasn't as nice as that. They really wanted to know where in the pecking order he was. So Luke says that John was a member of the priestly family, that his father Zechariah was a priest. Um, so they were checking out if that was true, if he really was a priest, and if he was, why wasn't he in the temple doing his duty? Why was he down here um, behaving like a madman? Um, so there's all those kind of questions. And John's answer, well, he offers three answers, and they're quite interesting. The first is, he starts off with who, what he is not. That's his first answer. I am not the Messiah. So how many of us in our, quest, in our answers began with who we were not? None of that? Right. And then he went on to, uh, to offer a scripture. So he quoted a passage of Isaiah that said something about who he was. Uh, so he was the voice crying out in the wilderness. How many of us did that? No one quoted any scripture to describe who we were? <laughs> well, it's not an uncommon thing. Jesus does exactly the same thing, doesn't he? So our passage from Isaiah, the first two verses, which were our sentence, are, are, the, are the passage that either Jesus used of himself or that the gospel writers applied to him. You want to know who Jesus is? Isaiah 61. He lived out the first two verses of Isaiah 61. And Francis, who we're going to talk about later, also did that same thing. He lived out passages from the, from the, from the Gospels. And then thirdly, John said, if you really want to know what I'm about, you have to know that I do this. I baptise. So we call him John the Baptist, but the Greek is more accurately described as John the Baptizer. It's a verb, not a noun. So it's what he does. So if you want to know who John is, he is the one who baptizes, and he baptizes with water, but the one who will follow him will baptize with Holy Spirit, and he is not worthy to even untie the thong of him. So he is saying he is not even at the status of a slave when he is saying that. I am less than a slave to the person who follows me. So those are interesting answers. He doesn't offer any genealogy at all. Doesn't say who his father and mother is. Doesn't say who his grandfather is. Nothing. He doesn't answer their question at all. He offers those three interesting ways of answering. So I wonder how we would answer, who are you, if we used those three categories. Who are you not? What scripture tells something about what you do? And what is it that we need to know about what you do to know who you are? 
if you're kind of confused about those three things, they're in your pew sheet. So they're in the theme. And I invite you just to turn around to your neighbour again and see if you can come up with who you are not and a passage and what do we need to know about you, about what you do. So those three things. Not passage, what you do, how they describe who you are. Have a go for a minute. All right. So how did you get on with that? Much harder, isn't it? Joel, did you all get all three? Oh, Peg and I did. We nailed it. So our next person is Mary. And her song, The Magnificat, which she uh, delivers when she goes to see her cousin, Elizabeth. And her answers are very different from John's answers. And it has two components. The first is she tells us who she is in relation to God. And she is God's lowly servant. That's who she is. And then that leads her to celebrate all that God is. So implicit within the song is a deep joy. And I think that's why it's in our lectionary for this Sunday. Because we've lit the, the, uh, the joy candle, the Gordette candle. I don't know how you say that word. Which means joy. If you squint. Uh, so, because of her song of joy, we, we have that this Sunday instead of a psalm. Uh, and uh, her song of joy comes out of all that God has done for both her and Israel. And we have that song. So that's what it should elicit in us, joy. So I wonder how many of us answered that question in terms of who we are in relation to God and the kind of response we give then because of who God is. And it's another way of answering that question, who are you? So I'll introduce a third person to this as well, who will magically appear on the screen, I hope, Francis of Assisi. Uh, and I want to introduce him because I think he kind of straddles both Mary and John, and because the Franciscans were known and are known for their joy, what well, we're supposed to be anyway. Uh, so like John... Francis lived out a number of passages. His first rule was actually just a collection of gospel passages, and the Pope said, that's ridiculously hard, go away and start again. It's unrealistic. So if you wanted to think about the kind of passages that applied to Francis, the first one would be, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. Come, follow me. So he took that literally and did that, as did his first followers. Well, all the first brothers. And the second one is uh, the commandment that Jesus gave to the disciples when he sent them out two by two. To not take a spare tunic, to not wear sandals, to not take a money belt, to not take a scarf, but to just go out basically in the clothes they were wearing and be dependent on what people gave them. And so those two passages defined who Francis was and who the Franciscans were. They had nothing. And on his deathbed, 
Uh, Elias, I'm uh, not quite up to that yet. He's still alive at that point. Uh, Elias, um, Elias lent him a robe and said, under holy obedience, you are not to own this and are to return it upon death. So that he said, I have fulfilled my vow. I, I leave this world with nothing, not even the robe I wear. So poverty was at the heart of who Francis was. And you would think, well, in that case, he was probably quite a miserable guy. But in fact, he wasn't. So the thing that links him with Mary is that he was filled with joy because of all that God had done in him and through him. He described himself as the most wretched of all sinners, and God had worked his love through him. And so when people talk about Francis of Assisi, they don't talk about, well, they talk about the poor, the poor man of Assisi, but they also talk about God's fool and the minstrel to the Lord. One of the quotes applied to him are, What are the servants of God but as minstrels who should lift up the hearts of people and move them to spiritual joy? One of his early brothers, Brother Pacifico, had been a famous master of the courtly songs. He was a court minstrel, a court jester. And when he joined Francis, Francis ordered him to travel with the brothers whenever they were travelling so that he could join their singing, their singing of the psalms, their singing of the praises of God, and he would sing an accompaniment as they preached the gospel. For singing to Francis represented the spirit of joy. And it was common to see Francis and his band of brothers wandering the countryside of Italy, sometimes being abused roundly because of who they were, singing and bursting into song and unrestrained joy. They were renowned for it. And it became a thing, Franciscan joy. So although they lived in absolute poverty, they lived in absolute joy as well. In fact, it was so important to, brother, uh, to Francis that when he saw another brother walking along with his head down and looking a bit gloomy because he was so hungry and cold, Francis rebuked him for such an outward display of sadness and suggested that he keep his sorrow between him and God and to pray for a restoration of his soul to the joy of God's healing. But in front of me and others, show yourself as always having joy, for it is not fitting for a servant of God to show sadness outwardly or to have a clouded face. So what is this joy that Francis was talking about? Sometimes I think um, we think joy or happiness is some kind of shallow thing. It's kind of become a bit commercialised. So I'm going to read some of the story. I was going to read it all, but we spent too long talking to each other. Uh, so I'm going to uh, try to read the story about perfect joy, which is one of the more famous stories about Francis. And it's also one of the more difficult stories about Francis. And it seemed, I've read it before on this Sunday because, well, if you're going to talk about joy, the person you go to is the one who talked about joy, Francis, who talked about perfect joy. But it's not in the way that we would often think about joy. So this is from the story Tales of Francis by Murray Bodo, OFM. How many times have walked to Perugia and back to Our Lady of the Angels, often in the rain or snow? Now you can put up that one of the two of them. Sometimes there would be a few disgruntled souls along the way who would glare hatefully and scoff at us for not working in the fields or the shops like honest folk. 
And I was always angered by their taunts and would want to explain that we were on a mission of preaching. But Francis would always stop me and say, Brother Leo, if we have to explain what we are doing, then we are not preaching at all. But, I would argue, can't you see, Holy Father, that these people don't understand? They think that we are lazy wastrels living off their kindness. Brother Leo, but that is even better, for that is perfect joy. And then he would begin his poem of perfect joy, which I had heard many times before, but I never seemed to grasp fully, just as the people along the way never seemed to fully grasp what we were about. Brother Leo, do you know what perfect joy is? Yes, Holy Father, but tell me again, for apparently I have forgotten once more. Indeed you have, dear brother, or you would not have been tempted to defend our life to those who scoff at us and hurl all manner of abuse at us. Tell me then, Holy Father, what is the joy of all this misunderstanding and abuse and walking barefoot in the melting snow and mud? Leo, even if the people were edified by us and remarked how holy we were, nevertheless write down and mark well, that is not perfect joy. The first few times we had this little walking dialogue, I would ask immediately, what is perfect joy then, Father Francis? But after a while I only walked in silence at the side of Francis, who, no matter what I might have said, would have pursued his story to the end, saying at regular intervals, No, Brother Leo, even if we gave sight to the blind, cured the lame, drove out evil, uh, devils, restored hearing to the deaf, made cripples walk and the mute talk, and even woke the dead right down and marked well, that is not perfect joy. And we would walk on in silence until Blessed Francis, as if he had been continuing the story in his own mind, would break in again. No, Brother Leo, even if we brothers spoke all languages and possessed all wisdom and knew the whole Bible and could reveal the future and knew the secrets of the hearts, mark well, that is not perfect joy. And again, we would walk on in silence until Blessed Francis thought I could not take the suspense any longer and he would cry aloud no brother leo god's little lamb even if we spoke with the tongues of angels and knew the courses of stars and the powers of herbs and all the treasures of the earth were were revealed to us including the properties and powers of birds and beasts and fishes of humans and trees and stones and roots and water right down and continue to mark well that is not perfect joy I then would usually allow him about an hour of additional embellishments that were not perfect joy, such as, no, Brother Leo, even if we lesser brothers could preach so that all the faithless would be converted to the faith of Christ, mark well that neither that is perfect joy. And then, weary with walking and listening, I would pretend exasperation and say, Father, I beg you, for God's sake, tell me what is perfect joy. And his answer always had to do with suffering something for the love of Christ. But the one that moved me the most, and was, according to Francis himself, the best answer he ever gave, came on a cold winter day when we were returning from Perugia and were just about to reach our beloved Botiancula. Well, brother Leo, listen well. 
We have come to the portiuncle and to wet the bone and with mud and weak with hunger. And we knock on the friary door and the brother porter answers and is angry and says, Who are you? And we say, We are two of your brothers. And he says, You're lying. You're not really. You're really two robbers who are about go about deceiving people and stealing the arms of the poor. Out with you! And then he speaks that way to us and refuses to open the door, but lets us stand there hungry in the cold and snow and water, with night falling, and we endure his abusive words and his wicked treatment, endure it becoming angry without becoming angry and without quarrelling with him, but instead think in humility and love that Brother Porter knows us as we really are, and that God is the one who lets him talk to us like that. Brother, Brother Leo, that is perfect joy. And if we keep on knocking so that the porter comes out and angri angrily drives us away like a couple of thieves, boxing our ears and cursing us and saying, Get out of here, you worthless leeches! Go to the lepers, because you're not going to get any food or lodging here. And we bear this too patiently and cheerfully and with charity. Brother Leo Mark well, that is perfect joy. And if, driven by the cold and hunger and the threat of night, we knock again and beg with bitter tears that for God's sake he let us in, if only just inside the door and he grows even more angry and says, what kind of shameless people are you anyway? Maybe this will convince you. And he runs out and, with a knobbly club and seizes us by the cowl and throws us to the ground and rolls us in the snow and comes close to clubbing us to death. And if we endure all this patiently, thinking only of the sufferings of Christ to whom belongs all praise and how much we should suffer for the sake of our love for him, Brother Leo, that is perfect joy. Now listen well to the ending, Brother Leo. Greater than any grace or gift of the Holy Spirit is Christ's gift to his friends of conquering self and willingly enduring suffering, injustice, contempt and harshness. For we cannot take any credit for the other gifts of God because they are not ours. They come from God. But we can take credit for trials, sufferings and crosses. With the Apostle Paul we can all say that there is nothing we can glory in except in carrying the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of all the words that Francis spoke, this story of perfect joy contains the secret of who he was and why he lived the way he did. It explains to those who can hear why cold and snow and mud and biting rain and dark night were bright and warm and softly beautiful to the blessed Francis. So as we think about ourselves, who we are, and how we answer that question, and as we think about Advent 3 and joy, are we a people of joy? And what kind of joy marks us?